Good morning. I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to see you all checking in this morning. Those of you watching live, those of you who watch later in the day, those of you who listen on the podcast version, uh, greetings to you all. Checking in, we've got Defresh on YouTube. Vicky is on YouTube as well. Mom's on Facebook. Don and Karen and Karen are all on Facebook. I'm sure others will join us as we go. If you have a delightful cup of coffee, I'd encourage you to take a sip now. Mm. Tasty. Ethiopian. All right. I think we can begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, memory verse. Whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble on one point, he is guilty of all. James 2, verse 10. Our psalm is Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside. They are together. They have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right, our catechism this week is the close of the commandments. What does God say about all these commandments? He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. What does this mean? God threatens to punish all who break these commandments. Therefore, we should fear his wrath and not do anything against them. But he promises grace and every blessing to all who keep these commandments. Therefore, we should also love and trust in him and gladly do what he commands. All right. Um, I don't know. Do I have a German catechism? I think I do. Curious how uh, Dr. Luther, how that actually gets translated. Oh, no, this is the history of Martin Luther. Let's not do that. Uh, that's a Lutheran hymnal in English. That's not going to work. Uh, here's a German hymnal from our congregation. It even says Town Sherman, Wisconsin, right on the cover. Uh, so I know the small catechism was in the hymnal. So let's find it here. Uh, there's the writings of the Gospels. There's the destruction of Jerusalem. Here's the Augsburg Confession. Oh, yes, that's right. Our hymnals had the Augsburg Confession in them. How else could we 
hold people to what they say. Uh, let's see. Prayers. Hmm, I can't remember where it is in here. There's a bunch of hymns. Is it at the front? Ah, there it is. I think. No nope, more prayers. I don't know where the small catechism is. Well, I was going to look up the German. I don't have it in front of me. I'll have to do that later. Um, the word that kind of strikes me today, and the reason why I was going to try to grab it here, is that word uh, that we should fear his wrath and that we should also love and trust in him. Um, I think in English, it, it gets to the, actually gets to the right, I think it's moose in, in German, but so I was going to check. Um, should indicates not necessarily what we can do, but what we ought to do, right? We ought to also love and trust in him and gladly do what his commands. But remember, as we talk about the law and as it's confessed and well given and exposed in the New Testament, the the law makes demands, but it never actually gives the ability to complete them, right? Uh, we talk about this with rules with children, right? And that we, that God, in, in the case of God, but also now with parents and other authorities, when they give rules, the rules don't actually have the means to accomplish them, right? So they don't, so for example, you say, um, uh, you, you must take out the garbage. Well, what, on what motivation or what basis would someone take out the garbage? Think of a child here. It's going to be the fear of punishment, right? But the desire or willingness to actually take out the garbage, um, it doesn't, the, the command does not give, right? Now, maybe you know your parent as, um, as someone who loves you, who cares for you, who um, always is looking out for your best, and, um, and the, the responsibility of taking out the garbage is, is, could simply be understood as a response of thanksgiving for all that um, you receive at the hand of your parents whom God has given you, right? And then you would actually take out the garbage with cheerful and, gener- and, and, and uh, willing spirit because it's not on the basis of the command, it's actually on the basis of love, of grace, of even forgiveness of sins, right? The parent will forgive you for where you fail. So to be careful about this, I think um, the, uh, it's, it's really the shortcoming of, of the civil estate is that it, it also makes demands, but it never gives the ability to complete those demands, all right? This, the, and the state the government, if you like, does not love you, and therefore you're not going to obey out of willingness, right? Only under compulsion, under threat of punishment. Right? And so then that's not lovely in return either, right? No love for state, no love in return. It's actually not even possible. To love the state um, turns very quickly into idolatry. And that's not why God gave it. Same thing with the law here. The law of God is good and wise, but it does not give the ability, the willingness, or even the desire um, to complete it, right? That's where that that word, sh- that word should, <laughs> uh, it shows the shortcoming, I think Luther rightly understands, is that um, it, you know, the sin is punished and it's visited upon three to four generations, but love, the law does not give. Mm. All right, so there's much more that could be said there, but we'll leave it there. Mm-hmm. All right, speaking of Paul in Romans chapter 3, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. 
whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. As it is written, right? Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, to our point earlier, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. All right? I can't help but think of salvation unto us has come. The law no peace could ever give. The law no peace could ever give, right? The, the purpose of the law, according to Paul, Romans 3, actually, just the book of Romans, you can read it all the way through to chapter 11 even, um, is that no flesh would be justified in his sight, that there is no redemption, no atonement made through one's own actions, but rather the law is given to show sin, knowledge of sin, and that we would receive redemption that is justification, forgiveness of sins, propitiation, all those words are there in that last paragraph, through Christ Jesus, by faith, right? As a gift, through his grace, not of our own um, doing, right? And uh, of course, this is all about uh, righteousness before God. I talked about this yesterday with the teachers in our catechesis. Uh, if you didn't know, our, I meet with our teachers once a month. We're actually going through the... Um, Lutheran confessions, because they actually swore to teach and um, to instruct the children according to those confessions, um, but I'm not sure that all of them had read them in any kind of detail, myself included. So uh, this year we're going through the uh, epitome of the formula of Concord, which is the um, abbreviated version. All right, we're going through the epitome, because if you go through the solid declaration, you'll be there a long time. Right? And yesterday we were talking about original sin and the errors that had crept into even the Lutheran Church, uh, which needed to be responded to with the formula. Namely, that um, there were those, Flacius is the most notable example, a man named Flacius, who taught that because of um, sin, original sin, Adam's sin, even our very nature as humans has been so corrupted, has been corrupted um, completely. Right. Now, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible, of course, teaches that our relationship or our standing before God has been um, so corrupted by sin that we have no possibility of redeeming ourselves by, you know, the law um, makes makes demands but does not give the means to accomplish that. If we could accomplish the law, we could live apart from faith in Christ, but we can't, All right? So that's been completely corrupt um, and lost by original sin, right? Um, that's what we confess in the formula. But but our nature hasn't been so corrupt that we cannot um, manifest in our life towards one another, not before God, but towards one another, uh, a certain degree of righteousness. This is what some would call 
um, quoting Luther, um, two kinds of righteousness. There's the righteousness before God, which is completely a gift in Christ Jesus. Then there is the, there is a kind of righteousness before one another, where we can live um, together, not just under fear or threat of punishment, um, but kind of respecting our common humanity. This is what Rousseau would call the social contract. Um, it's never perfect. It actually doesn't work very well. <laughs> but it, but if it didn't work at all, then then God, um, we would actually say that God, uh, God's promises have failed because He has actually promised to give rain upon the just and unjust alike, cause the sun to shine, the seed to sprout, to give life, to take life. All of that, um, God continues to do under the first article. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. That's not what this is talking about. The, the righteousness, the corruption, the deceit, the destruction, the misery we're talking about in regards to faith before God. But it is manifest then in lives of unbelief, which then reflect the our lack of faith toward God then is reflected um, in the way we live with one another. And that's why um, there is no peace in this world apart from faith in Christ. There are things that we call peace, there are things we call love, um, but they're all pale shadows of of the actual gift from God, because they have been corrupted by sin. Okay. And then our reading for catechesis, or I guess further catechesis, is from Exodus 32, picking up where we left off yesterday. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides. On the one side and on the other, they were written. Now, the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was, as soon as he came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which he had made, or they had made, and burned it in the fire and ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? So Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know... Uh, you know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods that shall go before us. As for the, this Moses, the man who brought us up, brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them break it off. And so they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and this calf came out. Now, when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp. And let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did, according to the word of Moses. And about three thousand men of of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day. For every man has opposed his son and his brother. And now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin. So now, 
I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for you. Or excuse me, I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of the book, out of your book, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now therefore go, lead the people to the place of which I have spoken you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. Pretty serious reading, huh? Yeah, of course it is. All right, I'm going to see if I can't improve something here. This is going to look different, but it's going to think, make things go a little bit smoother. All right. So uh, let's see, we have questions. We have questions. So Moses comes down from the mountain with what? Two stone tablets. That's what the commandments are written on, right? Um, what interesting details provided about the writing? It says that they're written on both sides, right? Both sides, front and back. And the commandments here are called the testimony. Um, why are they called the testimony, do you think? The testimony. Yeah, they're a testimony, well, against the sinfulness of men, and they condemn us, don't they? Yeah, they do. Uh, what's emphatically noted there in verse 16? We just had this the other day, uh, yesterday. Now it's added again that these are the word of God, right? They are the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Right, it comes from God. Um, what did Joshua say about the noise? That was an interesting expression. Verse seventeen. Yeah, there's the sound of noise in the camp. Right, he thought it was the sound of war. Um, he's not right, but he's also right in another way. Right? In what way is he correct? Who's at war here? Yeah, it's the people at war against God. One way you might um, think of sin is that it, you're making God out to be your enemy by going against his word. God does not want to be your enemy, <laughs> right? You don't want to make him your enemy either, right? So, uh, Moses observes, though, it's not typical warfare sound. It's, it's the sound of singing, right? Not just victory or defeat, but singing. How does Moses react when he sees the camp? He's already heard what's happened, but when he sees it, what happens? His anger burns hot. He throws the tablets out of his hand and breaks them at the foot of the mountain, as you know. Um, God has to inscribe another set of commandments for him, another, another set of tablets. All right, what three things does Moses do to the calf? I think there's some things here that will come up later. In verse 20, he burns it with fire, he grinds it to powder, and then he scatters it on the water for them to drink, right? Makes them drink it. Right. This is connected to other events of the Exodus, um, to what we heard yesterday, right? How that God wanted Moses to leave him alone so that his anger would be burn hot and that he would consume the people by fire, right? So instead of the people being consumed by fire, now the calf is consumed by fire instead. So God puts the object of his wrath upon the idol that they had made. Um, back in chapter 15, we had the water turn sweet. Remember, it was the bitter water at Marah. They couldn't drink it. Um, and then uh, God commands Moses to put the, the log in the water, and then it is made sweet. 
but now, of course, the water is made bitter again by the idol um, that was ground and put into the water. Right, so we have bitter water again, the water of judgment. What does Moses assume um, has happened to Aaron? This is a really interesting expression, isn't it, in 21? Maybe you haven't caught this before. Yeah, he assumes that um, the people had done something to Aaron to make him um, do such a thing as, as form this idol, this golden calf, <clears throat> under some heavy kind of coercion, right? Hmm. But Aaron responds instead, much like Adam, <laughs> or Eve for that matter, it's the blame game again, right? This is how sin always goes. When confronted with sin, we don't say, I am a poor, miserable sinner, not apart from faith given through the Holy Spirit, right? So here Aaron again acts in unbelief. He blames the people by saying that they were set on evil or prone to evil. Now, that's not necessarily false, right? You know, the people, they're just kind of terrible. Well, okay, fine, except that's not your job, Aaron, right? Your job is to speak the truth in love, even to those who like it and like it not, right? And then Aaron just makes matters worse by, um, what, telling this story, right? Look at verse 24. It's pretty incredible. Well, you know, I told him to give me the gold, but break it off. We threw it into the fire and then out came a calf. (laughs) Is that how it worked? No, Aaron fashioned the calf. He's the one who used the engraving tool, right? Okay. Um, what is, what are, what are some of the uh, results of the people's behavior? It's this interesting word here. It says that the people were unrestrained. Um, I think you could translate that as running wild. That would be a kind of a colloquial way of saying it. They were running wild. Why? Because Aaron had not restrained them. So there you have the judgment against Aaron spoken by Moses, right? And they were acting in such a way that even their enemies, um, that they would be ashamed, that they would be ashamed um, if their enemies knew, right, or something like that. Now this story is going to spread, and uh, the other nations will make a, make a joke of them. Of course, this is one of the aspects of behavior that um, ought to bother us, right? The way that uh, well, often Christians, uh, in particular, their hypocrisy is pointed out by by the world, right? especially in the press, but celebrities or whatever, look at you Christians. You say one thing, you do another. And we ought to be ashamed about that. That's true. Um, the response is not, I didn't do it. The people made me do it. Oh, it's just the way things are this, these days. No. The proper response is when someone says, aren't you ashamed that, that you believe um, in the sanctity of marriage and yet you've made a mess of, of your marriage? You say, yes, I am ashamed. And, and I daily confess my sin before God. He's promised to forgive me. And I live in that forgiveness, knowing that I, I yes, I'm completely at fault for what I did, right? Um, that, that is a really quick way to shut down hip, that whole hypocrisy angle. It's not to try to cover it up, to set it aside, to act as if it's not um, shameful, but actually to fully acknowledge um, the accusation that people bring, right? to acknowledge it, and then to confess the gospel, the forgiveness of sins that we live in. That's still going to be a scandal to them, um, but that's the scandal. That's the scandal they should be offended by, not by your behavior, but by your faith in Christ. All right? Good. So these people are unrestrained. So Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and then cried out, whoever's on the Lord's side, the Lord's side, not Moses' side, the Lord's side, come to me. Uh, Moses gets mad and calls Aaron a Ron. A, a Ron. Yes, this is true. 
that's a, a play on, on words. Okay, so back. Uh, yeah, whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves to gather to him. So that's the sons of, Le- of Moses' tribe, as we talked about yesterday. Right? So all the priests rallied to Moses. And they were the priests who were um, to direct the worship of the true God. And that's actually what they're going to be commissioned to do um, now with the giving of the law. Of course, we have this incident to deal with first. So the Levites, um, you know, they're not kind and gentle, the priests of God here. But instead, they, they do as Moses commands. They take up the sword and pass through the camp, killing their brothers, companions, and neighbors. And how many died by the sword that day? 3,000. 3,000. You might actually think then of the feeding, well, no. Oh, you might actually, the feeding 5,000, 4,000, no, 3,000, Pentecost. Pentecost, where true faith in God, in in Christ, namely, um, is given by the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 souls are baptized that day. What did Moses tell the people he would try to do for them then after this destruction comes upon them? Moses says, consecrate yourselves today to the Lord's, right? Set yourself apart, right? Sackcloth and ashes, that kind of thing, that he may bestow a blessing on you this day for every man has opposed his son and brother. And then Moses says to the people, you have committed a great sin. So now I will go to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. I like, uh, well, I don't like, but I appreciate Moses's uh, reluctance to say, the Lord will forgive your sins, Right? That will come in Christ alone. So he's going to try to make atonement for a sin. Um, atonement, that's an interesting word, right? It's a really loaded biblical word. This is to make um, satisfaction, payment, um, or restitution in the fulfillment of the law, the covering of a debt. right? Blood covering, you might even say. Um, it's asked in the chat, which men were killed? All men? No, 3,000. Um, I would, I think the estimate of the population, we're at least at a million people here, probably maybe even more than that, a million and a half uh, or even more. Um, so it's not all the men, but you note that it is, they are men. I think this is important. Um, just as we see in Genesis 3, ultimately, who's responsible for the failure um, to correct the lies of the serpent? It's not Eve, it's it's Adam, her husband, who is also um, the the chief priest, he's also the king, uh, you know, that those offices are not distinguished at that point. He fulfills all three, prophet, priest, and king. That's his job, Adam, right? How did they choose? It seems somewhat random, doesn't it? <laughs> it's just, um, they're just going about killing people whose responsibility it was to reject, to reject this uh, idolatrous notion of, of the... Um, of the golden calf, right? So here again, we see the failure of men to do the job that they've been given to do by the Lord is to defend their families, defend their wives and children from uh, false belief, from the lies of the devil. Hmm. So um, maybe maybe this number 3,000, I mean, this is speculative, but I think we can run with it, indicates kind of the, the number of, maybe these are the ones who actually promoted this idea, the mob that had gotten caught up in the idea of having these false gods that mimicked the Egyptian god, right? So maybe that's it. These are these are the ones who had rebelled. Um, did all the nation rebel? No. Um, does all the nation suffer? Yeah, right. It is interesting to note this, is that um, it's, it's not always true that it's the minority of people that have the worst ideas. Sometimes in the history of the church, of, of the Christian church in particular, 
the the bad idea that's contrary to God's word is held by the majority. We were talking about this again with our um, with my study of the Book of Concord with the teachers yesterday. Is that uh, when the the symbol of the Nicene Creed was formulated, the majority of the Christian Church um, held to a errant view of of the person and work of Jesus um, under Arius. They were Arians, so the majority of the Christian Church held to a, a, a wrong view. We would say, according to God's word, and uh, it took a faithful few to defend against um, the uh, the um, confused or the I guess you would say heterodox multitude. So. It doesn't say, we're just being speculative here, but I imagine these are the men um, who had led the people astray and who had, um, you know, as a mob, uh, accosted Aaron and uh, convinced him to do this this terrible thing. All right, so Moses is going to make satisfaction, atonement, um, or restitution in, the, in the, the covering of the debt by the fulfillment of the law. Um, can Moses do that? Of course. Well, he tries. Look at what he does. He says, Oh, this people have committed a great sin and have made themselves a God of gold. True. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, all right, so there he's commending God to, to his grace and mercy, right? The people to God's grace and mercy, I should say. But if not, here Moses offers himself, right? Blot me me out of your book, which you have written. Right? So we have a kind of a picture of Christ there, right? He offers himself for the atonements of the sins of the people. You know, in the same way that the ram uh, was offered in place of Isaac, something like that. Um, what sins blots one out of God's book? Unbelief, right? It's the only. Well, it's the sin against the Holy Spirit, right? It's the sin of unbelief. And what prom? Or what did God promise to Moses then? Well, first He says, "Whoever sinned against Me, I will blot him out of the book." Right? Sinned in unbelief, first commandment. But then, now therefore, go lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. So God promises to Moses um, the promised land. They, they, I will still deliver them into the promised land despite their sin, and I will send my angel before you to do this work, to lead you. Of course, the angel going before them, this is the person, the pre-incarnate Christ, right? The second person of the Holy Trinity, which we saw back in Exodus 23. Right? So uh, one thing that we need to distinguish here again is um, the kinds of punishment that God meets out, Right? And we we actually have this in our liturgy when we talk about um, temporal or temporary or or timely sins. How does it go in the confession? Not a huge fan of the confession in Divine Service Three, but it is the one that we use. Um, I have a few issues, mostly with the adverbs, but that's uh, we can thank Doctor Nagel for that problem. Oh yes, here we go. Uh, let's see. I've offended you and deserved, justly, of course, your temporal, right? So earthly, if you like, or temporary, timely, and eternal punishment. I deserve both punishment now for the sins I've committed and eternally. That would be the pains of hell. But, but, it's a great but there. I am heartily sorry. Well, either you're sorry or you're not. We don't need heartily. For them and sincerely. Well, if you're not sincere, why are you even saying anything? And maybe your confession is never really truly sincere anyway, only in faith. Um, so I am sorry for them and I repent of them and I pray to you of your boundless mercy and for the sake, right, that you forgive me, not only of t- temporal, you know, um, consequence, but also eternal consequences. All right. So, um, 
Is temporal punishment the same as being blotted out of the book? That's eternal death. Of course not, right? Um, I think, you know, that, 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 that eternal punishment, probably the closest, let's see, I'm trying to think of some close parallels to that, what that punishment would look like. This is like um, a solitary confinement or putting a child in time out, right? Where they have to face the wall or they go to the room alone. Um, or even more strident would be something like um, disowning someone, uh, like a child. Uh, or in the church, excommunication, you know, declaring someone outside um, faith in Christ. All right. Now, even then, that's still temporal, um, but, but, uh, but they're little pictures of, of eternal judgment, right? And they're meant to call to repentance. They say, ah, I did not realize the severity or the seriousness of my, of my rebellion, my sin. Um, please forgive me for the sake of Christ, right? And that you'd be restored. And here we have that one of those temporal punishments. We say there is consequence for our sin. There's a plague upon the people. And it doesn't name what kind of plague. We know the kind of plagues that God can mete out because we had 10 of them, right? Back in uh, earlier in Exodus in Egypt. And um, I know this bugs us too, but God allows us to suffer plagues um, up upon us for the same reason, right? For the sake of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. It's interesting um, we are supposed to ask when we suffer, um, you know, some kind of you know, great shame or um, misery or whatever in this world. You know, hurricane would be a good example. Is to say, uh, my Lord, what have I done? Now, without a prophet, can't say. You can say no, but actually, God has allowed us to suffer this. Why? For the sake of repentance, so that we put our faith, hope, and trust in God and God alone for everything needed, not only. Uh, for eternity, but even for this body and life. Right? Repent, lest you likewise perish. And thanks, thanks be to God that uh, most heeded the warning, um, or were were able to get out of harm's way. I think that the only well, it was a little over a hundred, perhaps, um, so far, have been recorded as having died as a direct result of the hurricane. Um, that's tragic, um, but also thanks be to God that it wasn't worse. Yeah. All right, let's summarize. The people were at war against God, for they were worshiping a false god. They had shattered the commandments as surely as Moses broke them into pieces at the foot of the mountain. Aaron reacted in blindness and foolishness, the foolishness of sin, as he first blamed the people, then tried to deny his role in forming the golden calf. Yet it was his fellow Levites who became the instruments of God's wrath and enforced the terror of the law. Moses offered himself as an atonement for the sins of the people, yet he could not pay the price for the sins of the people and cover them over. There is only one who can take our place under the law, so that our name is not blotted out of the book of life. That one is our Lord Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord who has gone before us into death and the grave itself. As these enemies could not hold him, so they will not hold us. It is this that gives us hope, although we often suffer punishment for our sins in this life. All right. Sing our hymn for the week. I walk in danger all the way. Uh, let's see, where should we go? Yeah, we should probably. Oh, did we end on three yesterday? I think we did. So let's read F. Let's sing four through six.
Before we pray, there's another question in the chat. You got in a little late there. I never even questioned where Joshua came from. He went partway up the mountain with Moses, question mark, exclamation mark. Yeah, Joshua is is uh, an inter- interesting character, right? In that he kind of appears on the scene. Um, let's see, when does he first appear? When does he first appear? Let's see here. Uh, let's see, Old Testament. Joshua first appears back in uh, chapter 17, and uh, they go out to fight with Amalek. So we have all of that there. Um, And then Moses in Exodus 24, this is where it's recorded. He went up on, um, so he left Aaron behind. Well, wait a minute. That's not exactly right. Hold on a second here. All right, so the, the people all said when Moses read the book of the covenant in the, in the hearing of the people that they would do all these things, we will be obedient. All right, and then Moses went up also with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, the 70 elders of Israel, and they saw God, the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. This will sound familiar. Uh, you might think of uh, Ezekiel and Revelation and Daniel. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity, but on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God. What? Yes, they saw God and they ate and drank. Right? So they're taken up into the heavenly throne in effect. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. Right? So they went up even further and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and the commandments, which I have written that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up the mountain to God. 
And he said to the elders, wait here for us until I come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has difficulty, let them go, right? And so that's the beginning of the 40 days. So Aaron and the rest of the elders are with the people. And then uh, Joshua and Moses go up on the mountain, uh, which is uh, maybe different than you remember, right? So there you go. There's the answer to your question. All right, let's pray. Almighty God, you threaten to punish all who break your commandments. Therefore, help us to fear your wrath and not to do anything against them. But you also promise grace and every blessing to all who keep your commandments. Therefore, forgive us our sins and strengthen our faith in Jesus, so that we love and trust in you and gladly do what you command. In Jesus' name, amen. Pray the collect for the week. O Lord, we pray that your grace may always go before and follow after us, that we may continually be given to all good works. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We also pray today for marriage and family, that husbands and wives, parents and children live in ordered harmony according to the Word of God. We pray for parents who must rear their children alone, and we pray for our communities and neighborhoods. We pray this day in Thanksgiving with Ashley, who celebrates her birthday. We pray for the households of our church, especially Graydon, Bobby, Robbie and Lisa, Dick and Jean, Greg and Sharon, and Amanda. We pray for our catechumens, both in school and after school. Pray for those ill receiving treatment or recovering, especially Marcella, Joe, Kelsey, Dan, Brad, Ron, Marla, Betty, Pat, and Heidi. Pray for our homebound Bev, Willis, Ed, Mickey, Paul, and Pauline. Pray for the missions and mercy work of the church, especially um, this month for the work of Orphan Grain Train. We pray in intercession, as Moses prayed, on behalf of the people for victory over temptations and for safekeeping from the devil's plots. We also pray for those suffering the effects of Hurricane uh, Ian. Pray for those grieving, especially Wendell, at the death of his mother, Connie. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right. It's been a joy to have you with us here today for the Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer on God's Word. Uh, hope to see you again uh, tomorrow for daily prayer. Um, but you also have opportunity later today uh, we have catechesis. This night we'll be considering uh, beginning our cons- consideration of the flood. That's at 5.30. You can join us for that. Join the uh, our catechumens. Um, also then at 7 o'clock, we have divine service. Today we will be um, not celebrating a feast or festival, but actually um, considering an alternate set of readings from last weekend. All right. So we'll have that tonight. And I encourage you to join us for divine service. All right. So God be with you all. Keep you safe. We'll see you later.
We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.